I have spoken before about the gift of sequential expository preaching. It is a gift. You see the wisdom of God in it. It's a blessing to the church as we study God's Word and the truths contained within it in the order in which they were given to us. It is a special gift to the preacher, very simply, in so much as I never have to wonder what text to preach the following Sunday. You simply preach the next few verses. With that being said, there is on occasion some wisdom in departing from a sequential exposition of the text. Christmas would be one example. We broke from our series in Matthew's Gospel, and for a few messages, we stopped to consider specifically the doctrine of the Incarnation. New Year could also be another time when we deviate from our sermon series, not least because the New Year is regularly a time of reflection, of looking back and contemplating, but also of looking forward, of making new resolutions, of setting goals and aims for the year ahead. I'm thankful for the health of this church. I'm thankful for the growth that we have seen this last year, not simply numerical growth, though there has been much, but I trust the spiritual growth that God has brought about in this congregation. I thank God for the health of our church. As we enter a new year, we're not asking the question of how we might survive. We're not asking the question of how we could possibly make it to the finish line of another calendar year By God's grace, we enjoy health, and we're able to consider how it is we might continue to grow, to continue to grow spiritually in our knowledge of our Savior. In one sense, the answer to that question is very easy. Don't come up with anything new. Don't be enticed by novelty. Don't do new things that have never been done before. Just keep doing the same old thing. Preach the Bible. Sing the Bible. Pray the Bible. And as we fellowship, speak the Bible to one another. That's the plan that God gives to us. And it reminds us that God's Word does the work. How can we continue to grow spiritually? It is by not coming up with anything new. At the same time, we could ask the same question from a slightly different angle and just consider, is there any particular area where we might place an emphasis this year? Is there an area of the ministry of this church where we could focus to our benefit? And that's where these last few verses in Jude are applicable to us. In your Bible, you may see the subtitle, A Call to Persevere. Again, I do not consider our situation to be the same as the situation of the believers to whom Jude was writing. We're not considering how we might simply cling on 
We're enjoying health given to us by the Lord, but we might consider how it is we persevere or how it is in the year ahead and beyond we could abound. In our persevering, there should be an abounding. Those two doctrines are not disconnected. They should rightly be understood as one and the same. To persevere is to abound. How do we abound? Jude teaches us specifically that our going on is an abounding in the love of God. My prayer for this church in the year ahead and for many years, is that we would abound in God's love. How do we do that? There's a twofold dynamic involved. There always is with the doctrine of persevering. On the one hand, for us to abound in God's love is to keep ourselves in God's love. That's the command that Jude gives in verse 21. It's a command that comes to us this morning, keep yourself in the love of God. That is our responsibility. That is what it looks like for us to persevere through another year, to abound, to continue to grow spiritually. But that must be coupled with a resting. A resting in the knowledge that God keeps us in His love. We don't keep ourselves in the love of God in our own strength. We keep ourselves in the love of God, safe in the knowledge that God keeps us in His love. That's the twofold dynamic of persevering. And I pray that that would be a reality that we live out every day in the year ahead. Now, the text is divided according to those two principles. We'll look first at 17 through 23, the exhortation, the command that comes to us to keep ourselves in the love of God before we then consider and rest and delight in the truth that God keeps us in his love, verses 24 and 25. Beginning in verse 17, Jude says, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They, the apostles, said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. They are worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Now, I don't intend to spend much time on these verses today. I want to focus on the imperative given in verse 21 but in order to establish the context of that command, it's right that we consider briefly what Jude says here. The reason for Jude writing this short epistle, very simply, is that some had crept into the church to whom he was writing, who were not believers, and they were perverting the grace of God. Verse 4, certain people have crept in unnoticed. Long ago, they were designated for this condemnation. They are ungodly people, and they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. They deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. These were antinomian 
in the truest sense, that is, they had a disregard for the law of God. You search out the older translations, and they use the word licentious. They were taking liberties. They were proclaiming that they had a freedom that was not rightly theirs. They were ignoring the confines that are rightly established by the law of God. Restrictions that are good for us. They had crept into this congregation, and Jude has two things to say about them. First of all, you need to remember that the apostles said this would happen. It's very sobering as you read through the Old Testament as a whole, you can see a pattern emerging whereby as you move further and further towards the end, the theme of false teaching becomes ever more prevalent. I don't think that's an accident. It is a a sobering warning that God's Word issues to us that false teaching is a reality. These people had crept into the congregation, and Jude says you need to not be surprised. The apostles of our Lord Jesus said this would happen. And then the second thing he says, looking at verse 22 and 23, is that you need to act. There are those being led astray by these ungodly people. They're in your midst and they're leading believers astray, causing the believers, the Christians, to behave in a like manner. You need to have mercy and you need to save them and snatch them out of the fire. You need to be active in your response. Again, I don't consider our context to be the same as this context. I don't ever want to believe that we're above this, however. I never want to think that we're above such a scenario, above any kind of false teaching, the influence of those that come into this church. I want you to know that we take the membership process very seriously, not least because of texts like this one. The elders take very seriously the charge given in 1 Peter to shepherd the flock that is amongst you, Our job is to protect the church. I don't want ever to think that we're above this, beyond this, immune from this. I thank God for the health of this church. I do believe, however, there is a principle that we could identify to which we are subject, and that is simply that there are many opinions and voices speaking throughout the week between Sundays outside of the church, and influence is real. Your news feed does not care to uphold the law of the Lord. Your social media feed does not care to uphold the law of God. The political opinion that you choose to read does not care to uphold your holiness. So you need to recognize that you are susceptible to being influenced by such voices and the principle that is applicable for us today is that we would be active in our response, that we would not be content to simply sit and be passive. And so what is our response? Jude says, you are to keep yourselves in the love of God. 
the response that he gives in verse 20 to the beloved is building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, as you study your Bible, one of the most important questions you could ask, especially in the New Testament letters, every genre is different, and we study every genre from a slightly different angle with different questions in view. As you read the New Testament epistles, one of the most important questions you ask is how the verbs in the passage in view relate to one another. So here, we have many verbs, building, praying, waiting, and keep. So as you study a text like this, one question you should be asking yourself is, what's the relationship between all these verbs? Verbs in any language carry the idea, they carry the thought. I learned this when I learned a foreign language as I was studying French in France. I realized I can get by without knowing nouns. Because you can always describe something as a thing. I realized after just a few weeks, I need to know some verbs. You can't communicate without verbs. You've got to know what the doing word is because that carries the idea. And so you need to focus on the verbs as you look at the epistles and say, what is the relationship between these verbs? And in this case, verse 21, that verb keep is the main verb in the text. It's an imperative, a command. It's the main idea. Jude would say, if you catch nothing else today, hear this, keep yourself in the love of God. That's his takeaway. That's his main point. That's the main verb in the text. He says, keep. Specifically, keep yourselves in the love of God which I would say is somewhat synonymous with keep yourself in the will of God. Keep yourself in this book and under the commands that it gives. That is God's love. This is his revealed will, and you need to get yourself under it. If you want to know and experience his love, be under his law. Walk in obedience. That is his love towards you. Be there. You might say, well, why doesn't he just say, keep yourselves in the will of God, keep yourselves under his law? And I think the answer is, again, given the context, Jude wants to remind them how good his law is. The context is that some were being led astray flaunting a false freedom that was not rightly theirs as if they had now the liberty to not obey the commands of the gospel. And Jude wants to say, this is good for you. This is life-giving for you. It is not a burden. Keep yourself in the love of God. 
And with that primary command having been issued, we then have to figure out what is the relationship between the command to keep and the building and the praying and the waiting, the other verbs in the sentence. Here, the relationship is simple. The building and the praying and the waiting are the means by which we keep. Jude gives to us the command, keep yourself in the love of God. He gives to us the means by which we are to do that. You are to build yourselves up in the most holy faith. You are to pray in the Holy Spirit. You are to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is how you keep yourself. You see how that question of how the verbs relate to one another, unlocks the text. It now forms that application for you. I am to keep myself in the love of God, keep myself in the love of God. That is not an abstract concept. Immediately, God's Word gives you rails upon which you do that, build and pray and wait. That's how you do it. So I know that coming here this morning, you may have already established many New Year's resolutions. Some of you perhaps are being a little bit ambitious. Earlier to bed, earlier to rise, more exercise, less sugar, less chocolate. I question the wisdom of that last one. Be kind to yourself. (laughs) Your pastor is giving you a New Year's resolution this morning that is far more important than any of those. Keep yourself in the love of God. How? Building, praying, waiting. Let's consider each one in turn and what they mean. First of all, we keep ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up in our most holy faith. What does that mean? Certainly, to build yourself up in your most holy faith involves a receiving, a constant diet of receiving, teaching, instruction, knowledge, so as to grow in your understanding of the Christian faith. Very simply, it involves at least a constant diet receiving of teaching, instruction, study, apprehension of truth in order that you would grow in your understanding of the Christian faith. And so I pray that by the end of this calendar year, you know more and understand more of theology and truth and the faith that you walk in than you do today. That's true for every single person in this room. At the same time, I think of the metaphor of building as we have seen it so many times on Sunday evenings in the book of Ephesians. And there, you'll remember, the metaphor is used over and over again to speak about action. 
not simply a receiving, but a response in action, using the gifts that God has given to you so as to serve one another. That is the building of the church. And so when Jude says we keep ourselves by building, I think he has in mind a receiving so as to grow, coupled with an action, a constant serving. I would paraphrase that and simply say, you keep yourselves in the love of God by investing fully in the ministry of this church. Keep yourselves in the love of God by investing fully in the ministry of this church, which is to say you are here, present, ready and prepared to receive Sunday morning, Sunday evening, you would go to a home group, an equipping hour. You would be involved in the men's, women's, men's ministry and the women's ministry, and you would receive. You would avail yourself of those opportunities in such a way that you are being fed by God's Word. Pray before you show up on this campus. Pray that God would soften your heart and come with a good attitude ready to be instructed, knowing that it is for your perseverance that you're here. At the same time, when you hear, we need a servant, your response is, let me be the first. I want to serve. I'm not going to overthink it. There's an opportunity. I'm going to run towards it. Why? For my perseverance. I am engaged fully in the ministry of this church, receiving and serving as a means that God's Word shows me is how I keep myself in the love of God. If you are here and you consider Bethany your church, and you're not yet a member, it's for your good. We want you to enter into membership and to covenant with us. If you're here as a member and you're not yet engaged fully, I want to encourage you to use this year to change the way in which you are exercising your membership, to be more fully participating in the life of this church, in your receiving and in your serving because it is one means by which you keep yourself in the love of God. Jude also says, we keep ourselves in the love of God by praying in the Holy Spirit. And I recognize you may be here this morning having already resolved that 2023 will be a year of more prayer I commend that resolution. It's a wonderful way to start the year, to be resolved to pray more. The advice I always give on prayer, how to cultivate a meaningful prayer life, is very simply you plan to pray. You pray in accordance with Scripture. And you pray until you pray. You've probably heard me say it before because I always give that advice. You plan to pray. 
You pray in accordance with Scripture, and you pray until you pray. Now, I know Jude doesn't say that exactly, but I think him and I are in agreement. Let me explain why. First of all, you plan to pray. That, I would say, is common sense. If you want to accomplish anything in life, you come up with a plan. Or, to put it another way, if you start every single day with the good aspiration that somewhere in today's busyness there would be a time of communion with God and all that it does is remain as an aspiration, I can guarantee you that you'll get to the end of the day having not sought the Lord in prayer. It's common sense that you would plan to pray. Plan the time that you will pray. Plan where you will pray. Even plan what you will pray. This is not legalistic. This is common sense. Plan when and where and what you will pray and see how all of a sudden now you have something of a prayer life. A prayer life that goes beyond simply giving thanks to God before you begin a meal. But that's not everything. Because Jude adds, pray in the Holy Spirit. And this perhaps is the difficult part of the discipline. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? To pray in the Holy Spirit is to pray in such a way that your spirit is in step with the Holy Spirit. To pray in the Holy Spirit is to pray in such a way that your spirit is in step with the Holy Spirit. Your prayers are issuing forth from a relationship between your spirit and the Holy Spirit. And you can't take that relationship for granted. Now, don't misunderstand me. Every single believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit always. From the moment that you set your eyes upon Christ savingly, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, never to leave you. But I know that when I wake up in the morning, my spirit is not necessarily inclined to eternal realities. When I wake up in the morning, my spirit is not delighting in eternal realities. As I think ahead to the busyness of the day, as I allow my eyes to rest upon the distractions that this life brings, I know that I am not necessarily in step with the Spirit when I pray. So how do I get there? Well, I would open this book and I would pray these words back to God. It makes all the sense in the world that the Word of God can lead us to pray in the Holy Spirit because there is a tight connection all the way through Scripture between the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is pleased to do His work with and through God's Word. 
That relationship is clear. It is testified to over and over. So how is it I can bring my spirit in step with the Holy Spirit? Simply pray the words of Scripture. If I fail to pray the words of Scripture very quickly, my prayers become very self-centered. Very quickly, my prayers lose all eternal perspective. When I pray the words of Scripture back to God, how I delight in eternal realities. It doesn't happen instantly, which is why I would advocate the Puritan adage, you pray until you pray. Prayer is meant to be a labor. You labor in prayer. You pray the words of Scripture and you keep praying the words of Scripture. Understand, though there is a place for firing up to God, arrow-like prayers, He hears those prayers, He does not neglect them. That cannot be the sum total of your prayer life. You need to carve out time to be with the Lord and to commune with Him, to pray until you pray. And so when you plan, and when you pray Scripture, and when you do so, for some period of time, I believe God will honor your efforts, and you will pray in the Holy Spirit. And there are few joys greater in this earthly life than to pray in the Holy Spirit. Jude is not here talking about speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is something that we see in the early church. It was given as a sign to validate the ministry of the apostles and the veracity of this work, this church. When the church was established, there is now no longer any need for that gift. So it stopped functioning. Jude, I would say, is talking about something far higher, far greater that is available to all of us today, which is simply to pray in accordance with the ministry of the Spirit in our lives. The Word of God is available, and we are to labor to this end because it is for our perseverance. We must take seriously the discipline of praying in the Holy Spirit because it is the way in which we keep ourselves in the love of God. It's easier than perhaps you think. We read Psalm 90 earlier this morning. Pray the psalm back to God. Lord, Throughout all generations, you have been our dwelling place. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the world or the earth, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God, be my dwelling place today. Be my dwelling place today. Permit not my thoughts to wander to sinful places. Keep back my lips from speaking that which is not true. Lead my hands and my feet in a way that honors you. Be my dwelling place today. God, be the dwelling place of my family today.
direct our hearts so that we would find our rest and our satisfaction in you. The psalmist goes on. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For, because this is why, a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when they're past, or like a watch in the night. God, teach me how fleeting is my life. Teach me that I am dust. Keep me back from believing that which is not true about my earthly life. Direct my desires in accordance with my fleeting nature. The psalmist goes on, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice, be glad all of our days. I love that connection that God's word teaches us. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love This quiet time has consequences for eternity. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. God, satisfy me this morning with your steadfast love. That's a biblical prayer in God's word. Turn it around and pray it for all that you're worth. Satisfy me this morning with your steadfast love. Why? Because I want to be satisfied. I want to be satisfied by you, and I want to be satisfied 10 and 20 and 30 years from now. I want my satisfaction to be found in you from this morning. And God's Word teaches me that there is a connection. So God, here's my prayer. Satisfy me this morning with your steadfast love. That I would rejoice and be glad all of my days. Satisfy this church this morning with your steadfast love that we would rejoice and be glad all of our days. You see what it is to pray in the Holy Spirit. I don't know where you're at in your prayer life today. My guess is that you would desire to be someone who is more in prayer. Again, it's a good desire. Would you, in the year ahead, by God's grace, pray in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it is a means by which you would keep yourself in the love of God. Thirdly, wait. Main verb, keep yourselves in the love of God. How, Jude, how do I keep myself in the love of God? You build yourselves up. You pray in the Holy Spirit and you wait For the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. It is remarkable what you can achieve when the end is in sight. 
It is remarkable what you can achieve when the end is in sight. I'm sure you've heard of the the story, the true story of Florence Chadwick. In 1952, she attempted to swim across the Catalina Channel, becoming the first person ever to do so. She set out on a foggy morning. The conditions were choppy, there were sharks in the water. A patrol boat circled round her, firing bullets into the water to scare away the sharks as she swam. Everyone expected the fog to lift, and it never did. After 15 hours of swimming, she said to her mother, who was in one of the boats, I don't think I can do this. In the 16th hour, they pulled her out of the water. She had failed. What they didn't realize is that the shore was less than a mile away. And she said, if I had known, I could have kept going. On her second attempt, there was no fog, and she was successful. It's remarkable what we can accomplish when the end is in sight. Jude says, wait. It's how you keep yourself in the love of God. You wait for the appearing of the mercy of Christ. Now, we do not know when Christ is going to return. We know that he is going to return. We need to take seriously that he is going to return and that he could return at any point. We need to take seriously that Christ could come back today. If you're here not as a Christian... You need to repent of your sin and believe upon Christ for salvation because you are not yet ready for him to return. If you are here as a Christian, we need to take seriously that he will return and Jude teaches us we are to wait for his mercy, his final mercy that leads to eternal life, which is to say as believers we are to maintain a vivid anticipation of the return of Christ. We are to maintain a vivid anticipation of the return of Christ. Bring to mind the truth of his second coming frequently. Allow your heart to meditate frequently on the reality that he is coming back. Pray. Come, Lord Jesus. It's one of the hardest prayers for me to pray. I want to grow old with Laura. I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see them married. I want to hold their children. And yet I am to pray, come, Lord Jesus. I have to pray that prayer. I have to pray that prayer believing that everything that he will usher in with his kingdom and with the new heavens and the new earth is 10,000 times better than the best things this life has to offer. I have to choose to believe that and pray, come Lord Jesus so as to keep my heart alive to the truth of his return, so as to keep myself in his love. 
memorize scriptures that speak specifically to Christ's return. Speak often to others about the reality of Christ's return. Whenever I see a cockroach, I just say, he will not be in heaven. It's true. One day, I'll preach through Leviticus and I'll explain why that's true. But he won't be there. And I say it as a reminder to myself that this life is not it. There'll be no cancer in heaven. No sin in heaven. No car crashes in heaven. Only Christ. And us, with no sin, around his throne. Speak the truth of your hope to one another as a reminder to others, but also so as to minister to your own heart that Christ is coming back. And in so doing, know that you are waiting for the mercy of him and thereby keeping yourself in the love of God. Whatever you desire for the year ahead, I am pleading that you would keep yourself in the love of God. How? By building, praying, and waiting. Now, if we were to stop there, it would be to do a disservice to the doctrine of perseverance. There is a gap, undoubtedly, in your Bible from verse 23 to 24. It's not inspired. Maybe there's a subtitle. It says doxology before 24. It's not inspired. The gap in the subtitle break the inspired flow of thought. Hinders us, perhaps, from seeing the inspired flow of thought. The first word of verse 24 could rightly, more literally, be translated, and. It's not an entirely new unit. There's a continuation of thought. And to him who is able. And notice how Jude uses the same verb that he just used to exhort us. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And to him who is able to keep you. He opens up for us in that one phrase, the doctrine, the inner working of the truth of persevering, which is that, yes, we have a responsibility. God intends for us to exert ourselves in our perseverance, in our abounding, but we do so It's safe in the knowledge that God all the while is keeping us. This is not a new truth even within this letter. Notice how Jude begins. In verse 1, he said, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. He begins the letter by saying, you are kept. The rest of the letter, he says, keep yourself. And then he ends the letter by saying, you are kept. 
and look at the, the manner of God's keeping of us, He keeps us from stumbling, which is to say He will not allow us to make shipwreck of our faith. If God has gifted you the new birth, salvation in Christ, faith in Him, He will not allow you to walk away. He will keep you from stumbling up until the point where there will be a glorious presentation. He will present you blameless, without sin, without spot or blemish, before the presence of His glory with great joy. How great will the joy be on that day because of your having made it to the end? with great joy, and in that day, all glory and majesty and dominion and authority will be ascribed to God because you are there. Consider that your presence, a testimony to His having kept you, will render to Him glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. This is the truth of your persevering. Yes, you are to keep yourself, but you do it safe in the knowledge that God keeps you. And so our responsibility as it relates to these last two verses, very simply, is that we would would rehearse these truths. How is it that God keeps us? Through, verse 25, Jesus Christ. That's how he keeps us. Through Jesus Christ. Which is through the saving work of Jesus Christ. It is not a different work. Our persevering is effected and accomplished through the completed work of Christ on the cross in the same way that our salvation was. And so you say to yourself, God predestined you from before the foundation of the world. He is not about to let you go. God sent His only Son as your Savior, He will not let you go. God crushed His Son on the cross because of your sin. He crushed His Son to redeem you. He's not about to lose you. God raised Christ from the dead after three days. The tomb was empty. Where is your sting, O death? He is not going to let you go. God raised Christ to his right hand. And there he intercedes and pleads the merits of his blood on your behalf, our After hour after hour, he will not let you go. He will make sure that you persevere. Now keep yourself in the love of God.
I don't know what the year ahead holds. Trials, hardships. I pray that we as a church would abound in God's love. Keeping ourselves safe in the knowledge that we are kept. Let's pray now together. Father in heaven, at the beginning of this new calendar year, we praise you for the health of our church. I want to thank you again this morning for the many new members that you have brought to us over the course of this last year. We rejoice in our growth. We rejoice in the spiritual growth that you have affected in our hearts. We look ahead. It's not ours to determine the course of this year. We trust in your sovereign hand. But we know that you would have us abound in your love. So please, work in us that we would keep ourselves in the love of God. May we do so by investing fully in the ministry of this church, building ourselves up in our most holy faith. May we do so by praying in the Holy Spirit. I pray that we would wait for the revelation of Christ. May there be in our hearts a vivid anticipation of his coming. as we keep ourselves in your love. I pray that it would be safe in the knowledge that you keep us. You keep us through the glory of the gospel. The blood of Christ, we are a kept people. Father, we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.